the choice isn't between markets and hierarchies, but between arm's length markets, which are very kind of uh, super transactional and in a way rigid in terms of how they specify contracting and how that ought to work, and what we call socially dense markets. Because at places like Hire and even Morningstar, the largest tomato processor in the U.S., they engage in contracting between different units and different people working in the Morningstar plants. As these examples demonstrate, you don't need a policy of managers right, to coordinate individuals and teams. But you do need people that are able to interact with one another in a much more flexible way, in a way that is also relational, right? So that it's in purely transactional. Because the people at Hire even though there are microenterprises, even though they are engaging in market-like transactions, they know each other quite well. They have a common purpose. They have a common vision. So it's not just about markets, but it's about creating markets that are, as I said, socially dense, that recognize the fact that some of the work is relational and you can't specify everything in advance and it isn't rigid. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hello, everybody. Quick intro to today's episode with Michele Zanini that I have been co-hosting with my usual co-host, Emanuele Quintarelli, and you will enjoy, hopefully. Uh, Michele is the co-author of the uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller, Humanocracy. Uh, he is the co-founder of the Management Lab, together with Gary Hamel. He helps uh, uh, forward-thinking organizations become more resilient, innovative, and more engaging places to work. Michele uh, was a consultant previously at McKinsey, for example, or uh, also a policy analyst at the RAND Corporation. And uh, his work has been featured countless times uh, in HBR, The Economist, Financial Times, and more. Uh, we had the chance to sit down with Michele after um, I sent to Michele uh, our uh, recent article on contracts and the nature of the firm. Uh, so we, we, had, uh, we wanted to have this conversation around the impacts of uh, widespread uh, contracting on the firm, what kind of changes we can expect, how the firm is supposed to be impacted by uh, the further reduction of uh, transaction cost uh, due to uh, you know, more readily usable technologies for contracting, smart contracting, and so on. Our conversation has been touching on topics as different as uh, higher. Uh, you will see that, uh, you will hear that we refer to higher several times in the conversation. Uh, Michele, as uh, we also are, is a long time collaborator and consultant and, and you know, uh, researcher on, on hire, uh, Rendon Hay, and all these topics. Uh, and uh, uh, we also touched upon the topics related to DAOs and what can we expect from this type of, of organizations. I think uh, the highlight for me uh, is that besides Michele has been working with corporations for so, so long, 
he, like me, like us, I would say, uh, doesn't not does not give for granted that um, you know existing corporations are going to transform to adapt to the new uh, landscape of organizing. You know, we, we kind of think that uh, there are massively new institutional uh, actors and organizations that have to be invented, basically, and uh, uh, also that uh, creating that kind of organizations. Uh, cannot be really delegated. It needs us to engage with organizing at a much more granular and, you know, embedded uh, scale. And when I say embedded, I'm talking about uh, embedded in our uh, communities and landscapes. And uh, uh, essentially, uh, we require us to actively be part of this organizational renewal. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation. It's uh, very to the point and very uh, engaging, at least it was for me. So thank you. Enjoy the conversation and uh, I'm sure I'm going to catch up soon. Welcome. Welcome back, everybody, to the Boundaryless Conversations podcast. Uh, I'm here today with a not so usual co-host uh, that you already met on the podcast, uh, another colleague from Boundaryless, Emanuele Quintarelli. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you, Manuele, for joining us today. Manuel is our uh, 3EO um, microenterprise lead. And uh, uh, with us today, we have a very special friend, Michele Zanini. Hi, Simone and Emanuele. How are you? Ciao, Michele. Very good. Uh, I'm very much looking forward uh, to the conversation today. I don't think Michele needs any uh, introduction, even if, uh, uh, you, you know, probably we're going to record the one on top of this. But uh, um, let's jump uh, straight into the uh, context of the conversation we're having. I shared with Emanuele, with uh, Michele, sorry, uh, a few weeks ago, some of our recent uh, writings with regards to the impact of uh, contracting, widespread contracting on the shape of the firm, on bureaucracies and the transformation of, of the corporate, complemented by uh, our common work on contracts and platforms that can enable uh, a different way to organize a firm uh, around agreements and microenterprises and units. So the, the point, the, the initial question that maybe can open up this, this chat, it's really about what is the reality? Uh, are we just uh, picturing a future of uh, uh, you know, overcoming bureaucracies through team-based, entrepreneurial, ecosystemic organizations made of small teams that can contract with each other inside and outside the organization for the creation of new products and services and, and, and whatever, or uh, this is just something we are thinking uh, and it doesn't really work like that and we cannot really expect any massive change uh, to the industrial structure of the firm that you know, we are used to, uh, you know, probably from the last uh, 200, uh, 200 years or so. So, Michele, let's start from there. Are we just daydreaming or, or is there any uh, some anything solid uh, backing this uh, kind of prediction? Yeah, well, big question to start off, but, it, but it's a very good one. I mean, be, and it's a legitimate one because, you know, most of us are, are accustomed to uh, uh, an organizational model that works very much like a um, like a command economy, you know, um, than, than a market. You know, the average Fortune 500 company is modeled after the, the Soviet Union, right, and, and not Silicon Valley. And, and I think the reason for that isn't because there aren't alternatives, but because most CEOs don't know any better. 
you know, every organization that they've encountered runs like that, right? And, and it actually doesn't help that economists uh, have uh, lo- kind of long viewed markets and firms as mutually exclusive. You know, as far as they're concerned, you know, markets are decentralized and firms aren't. And there's no gray area in the middle. I, I think it was Coase, Ronald Coase, the economist, you know, who was very famous around in the, you know, his, his work around the nature of the firm and transactions costs. He, he called firms islands of conscious power, right? They're basically inherently authoritarian and, and you know, need to be managed that way. And, and, and we think this might make sense for economists because it makes their life easier. It you know, makes their interpretation of the world easier. But, but it's a very simplistic and, and, and uh, a way of looking at it because, you know, while Coase, in a way, was right when, when he said that, you know, uh, there are certain inputs and activities that firms can't easily acquire and therefore they must, you know, in the marketplace and therefore those must be internalized. What he and other economists fail to appreciate is that once these are absorbed, you know, these inputs and activities, you know, can be organized in in quasi-market uh, market ways, right? Market mechanisms and administrative coordination are no uh, more mutually exclusive than than chickens and pigs, right? You know, they're genetically distinct, but they complement each other, you know, <laughs> very nicely on the breakfast table, right? So, so I think, you know, there's this dichotomy that we just need to get past. And technology and other developments have made standardization and the like. They've made um, market-like ways of, of organizing uh, within firms much more doable and feasible and effective and powerful than than even 20, 30 years ago. So I'm optimistic. Th- th- there is an alternative, and this alternative to, to, to bureaucratic command and control is, uh, uh, you know, now more available uh, and, and more powerful than ever before. So I don't think you are, you're dreaming. I think this is, uh, this is something that is, uh, you know, quite real. But then, you know, there is a struggle around, you know, adopting this concept and, and these tools, and we can get into that and, and why that might be a difficult road. But uh, but but it's a very real one for me. Uh, and and just uh, a quick, uh, you said there is hope for that, right? So I'm I'm wondering if there is any positive outcome that we can attach to this kind of transition, right? Because in, in my recent post, uh, contracts in the nature and the future of the firm. I, I posit that uh, uh, essentially the fact that now it's easier to make contracts uh, and, and essentially teams are much more empowered, this may lead uh, to teams starting to uh, reconsider their priorities and do more um, embodied work, more uh, work that is more relevant for them, for their stakeholders, essentially also impacting the uh, reducing the the typical leverage that uh, in bureaucracies a very bad idea can have you know think of uh, an executive saying you know we want to do this we have to do this uh, and so i have the power to enact that across the whole organization and you know basically multiply the destructive nature of of, of or, or anything that i can decide so uh, is there a, some kind of positive connotation of on having contracts more widespread, teams more autonomous, uh, work being more defined at the edges of the company versus the center? Oh, yeah. I mean, the uh, the benefits are, are, are huge, right? So what markets do really well, I mean, they do quite a few things really well. But one is, you know, uh, they make coordination dynamic. You know, I mean, think about the feats of coordination that are available to you 
because you are, um, you know, in a market economy. Like, you know, let's say you live in Rome and, and you and I think about the last dinner party you, you hosted, right, Simone, in your in your fancy loft uh, overlooking uh, St. Peter's, uh, uh, as I know. Right. <laughs> and maybe this was pre-COVID, but, you know, just think about like what, you know, uh, before that big day, like no one could have predicted what you choose to serve your guests. Right. And you went online and it was all there. You know, you got Angus beef from Scotland. You got asparagus from France, you know, potatoes from Jersey, butter from Denmark, you know, some really lovely cheese uh, from the Alps and so on. And and, you know, after two hours that you placed this order, it was all there. Right now, like think about the the bureaucratic kind of top down alternative to that. You know, months or years before your party, you would have had to needed to tell all the farmers what to plant, what to harvest, how to get their goods on the market. You would have to tell you know where to plant the vines, where when to pick the grapes. Right? It's it's, it's crazy, right? So the the point is, you know, so even something as simple as provisioning a dinner party exceeds the limits of, of top down planning. Right. And then you can scale that up to a city or, or a company. Right. And this kind of amazing feats of coordination are facilitated by contracts. Right. Like uh, that span the globe. Right. There, there are these agreements that uh, are, are just bringing every all these resources together. And, yeah, you know, it costs money to write and enforce these contracts. Right. Sure. But but the market based coordination is generally way more efficient and flexible than than the bureaucratic alternative. Right. So so that's that's like one huge advantage of markets. The other one, dynamic coordination, the other one is just the wisdom, wisdom of the crowd. Right. You're just able to tap the the resources and and the insights of dispersed groups of people around the world uh, that are not within your your control and you don't have to manage on a daily basis. So the the kind of collective intelligence that comes um, from taking a market based approach is huge. And then the last thing I suppose uh, last advantage of of a market over taking a market like mechanism and approach is that you create competitive discipline. Right, that basically there are no monopolies. There are typically several providers. So if someone who's, you know, serving you isn't dealing, um, you know, dealing with you fairly or not providing the right services, you can get rid of that relationship and move on to another one who might be more responsive. You know, obviously, Hire has done this very well uh, by creating these uh, competitive markets for the provision of internal services such as IT or HR and so on. But other firms have that as well. Like and and you know what drives me nuts sometimes when you hear you know HR or IT saying you know we have internal customers, right? And then you know the question to them is like, you know, can can they fire you, right? Uh, and they say no. Well, then you're not really you know they're not really your customers, right? They're they're kind of your captives. I mean, you try to treat them nicely, but 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 competitive the competitive discipline that a market like uh, mechanism creates um you know helps you know, everyone really focused on the customer and serve and 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 doing that effectively and efficiently. So those three things, you know, the competitive discipline, the collective intelligence, and the dynamic allocation of resources and coordination are really difficult, if not impossible, to achieve through kind of a bureaucratic top-down approach. So those are the big advantages that I I think, and they're huge, right? And the companies that have done this uh, well have have uh, like higher have showed that they generate a ton ton of value. So that's that's really the challenge uh, for those who are, you know, uh, interested in supporting kind of the status quo. How would you replicate those advantages with a traditional management approach? And I think they wouldn't have much to say uh, in defense. As a compliment, I would say, of this initial uh, overview. No? And, and I think at the point that you, you are making around, you know, 
that's something that only markets, uh, marketplaces and markets can can deliver. It's very interesting. And uh, my, my feeling, you know, as, as, a, as a researcher of platforms and marketplaces for now more than 15 years and, and so on, uh, I have this feeling that essentially we, we started with the complicated and dumb uh, contracts uh, that the bureaucracies are, are based on. So this idea of amassing suppliers, uh, contractualize them for the long term. And this is part, for example, of Oliver Williams' work, right? So the, the fact that uh, if you have a very high uh, friction, let's say, um, in changing priorities, for example, you may want to have a long-term contract with a supplier. And that's essentially industrial age contracts, right? And uh, uh, the fact that in that context, the only transaction that was left on the market was purchasing. So basically, you can only consume in an industrial bureaucracy as an external player. Uh, then, you know, it's kind of we moved on the other side of the spectrum with this kind of platform revolution that everybody has been talking about. So we started to build the marketplaces. Uh, we started to build these uh, platforms and aggregators. But the delusional aspect of such players is that uh, the roles that you can play, of course, maybe are also including producer roles, like, you know, you can host someone on Airbnb or you can sell your stuff on Amazon Marketplace. But the whole experience is very much encased in a, in a model and scaled up. So there's not much freedom, actually. You can only play a certain role in a, in a very structured marketplace model, let's say. So you have a very efficient model, but it's not really uh, still industrial from a certain point of view. You know? It's still about imposing a model to the others. And now we are seeing this very interesting kind of uh, rebound. You know, we're seeing the situation coming back to uh, not dictating, uh, you know, the experience that, that you have to uh, engage with on a marketplace, but rather giving small players the possibility to kind of creating more complex agreements uh, for example, the ecosystem micro-community contracts that uh, Hire uh, has been you know, bringing forth. But in general, the idea that you can have many small players ag agreeing on a contract to bring something new, some new outcomes uh, to the ecosystem and doing it with some technological tools uh, that uh, basically make uh, scale no more so important. So basically, you can have much more variance, much more differences in the agreements and transactions that happen, just because now it's not just about playing a role or clicking a button, but it's still about, you know, establish your agreements and contracts and cooperating uh, in, a, in, a, in a much more nimble and easy way. So I don't know if you see that happening as well. And if you feel like this kind of entrepreneurial models like Rendon Hay or how we call it, the three EO, can really, uh, really represent this kind of uh, uh, bounce, bouncing back from the rigidity of uh, the tradition of, uh, you know, this new tradition of marketplaces and platforms. Yeah, and that's a very good thought uh, because to take the side of, of, of those who are, uh, you know, critics of, of, uh, of, of market-like mechanisms side of firms, they might say, well, you know, when... The inputs you're acquiring are difficult to value or they're essential, they're scarce, you know, like uh, in the marketplace, you know, you know, it, it's hard, right? Because as a buyer, you might be at risk of being held hostage, you know, by the seller 
or or when the, the you know the inputs need to be integrated in very complex ways that you can't specify in advance markets don't work right for instance you know it's hard to imagine how pixar right could duplicate the deep experience you know and the shared wisdom of all its digital animators by by contracting their work out to uh, a bunch of independent contractors right so so there are limits right um, and that you know you have to recognize but but the, I, you know the, i think the choice isn't between markets and hierarchies again, but between arm's length markets like the ones you described, Simone, which are very kind of uh, super transactional and in a way rigid in terms of how they specify contracting and how that ought to work. It's between those kinds of markets and what we call socially dense markets, right? Because at, at places like Hire and even Morningstar, the largest tomato processor in the U.S., which, you know, operates, and, and maybe we can put up uh, some links or some one of your audience might be familiar with Morningstar, but they, they engage in, in contracting between different units and different people working in, in the Morningstar plant. As these examples demonstrate, you know, you don't need, you know, a policy of managers, right, to coordinate you individuals and teams. But, but you do need people that are able to interact with one another in a much more flexible way, in a way that is also relational, right? So that it's not purely transactional. Because the people at hire, even though there are microenterprises at hire or these colleagues at Morningstar, even though they are engaging in market-like transactions, they know each other quite well. They have a common purpose. They have a common vision. And and so you got to think about that as well as a complement, right? This isn't just atomistic kind of uh, uh, you know, transactions between between players that have nothing in common. So it's it's not just about it, it, it just about markets, but it's about creating markets that are, as I said, socially dense, that recognize the fact that some of the work is relational and, and, and you can't specify everything in advance and is it isn't it isn't rigid. So you know we, we gotta adapt the way we think about markets inside of firms so that they fit the context. And uh, and I think you know the work and, and the thinking you guys are doing around uh, you know these these platforms and creating flexibility around how contracts and agreements are set is, is a pretty um, is, a, is a pretty important way to get there. Uh, I would like to jump in here and uh, just stress one point that you have raised. Uh, to me, the point is that uh, another benefit of market-like organizations is uh, scalable freedom while still guaranteeing coherence. What I mean by that is that I was speaking at a conference uh, of uh, organizational designers recently. So people doing this job, basically, designing uh, new organizations. And it surprised me that they couldn't imagine the possibility of empower every single individual of the organization with freedom while still having an organization. So basically, uh, they were seeing uh, hierarchy top-down and control, cascading budgeting as the only ways to maintain control, to maintain coherence, to maintain identity. Uh, what I believe that IRE has demonstrated very well is that uh, you can go beyond the early experiments uh, of uh, autonomous uh, teams uh, and rebundle these teams thanks to contracts without hierarchy while still maintaining this coherence. This is quite unique. It's uh, jumping to the next level. It's, uh, it's a new possibility that we can use to scale the freedom that we have seen in some early experiments uh, to huge organizations, uh, global uh, organizations, thanks to, thanks to technology. And to me, there is another 
uh, if you want, uh, uh, misunderstanding when we talk about market-like dynamics in organizations. The fact that uh, we tend to imagine only transactional exchanges. So I give you money and uh, you give me work. But not, that's not exactly like that. The forcing function or the KPIs that we may use, and here Zappos is another example, can be can go beyond money. It could be customer outcomes, it could be employee development, it could be profit. So it's up to the individual organization to decide what they want to be uh, driven from. But still, you may go beyond market-like as money. It's not just money, it's a coordination, a scalable coordination system that guarantees freedom and coherence. That's that's exactly right. And I think it's an important point I wanted to make that, you know, it's... Um... Most people think of freedom um, and control as a fundamental trade-off, right? It's uh, it's either one or the other, right? Uh, either you are like um, you know a military organization or you're a keg party, and like if you're a keg party, everybody's free, but it's chaos. And if you're a military organization, everybody is like obeying orders, but it's super incremental. And you know, I mean, at some point, I suppose there is a trade-off between freedom and control, but we're nowhere near. Uh, that that line, you know, that that frontier, you know, it's it's like uh, in the in in I don't know, like 50 years ago, people thought there was a, a fundamental trade-off between price and quality of cars, right? And uh, you know, you could either you know, if you wanted to have a cheap car, you you drove a Yugo, and if you wanted like a really high quality car, you drove a Mercedes. But now, but Toyota then showed the world and Honda and others that, no, you can actually have high-quality cars that don't cost much. And I think we need to be as inventive, as innovative as Toyota was, you know, in their cases, you know, reinventing the production process. But we need to reinvent our organizations so that they can be disciplined and and free. And, you know, uh, obviously, hire is a very good example of how you get coherence and coordination and control while at the same time giving people individual freedoms. And then the coherence and the control comes from these contracts and the fact that they have also, you know, these shared goals and, and skin in the game and, and so on that you guys have probably talked about in previous podcasts and publications. So we can go there if you want, but but I won't belabor that point. But it's also true that, you know, there are other mechanisms to do this that uh, are maybe, you know, more relational than market-like. And again, to me, it's it's you got to think about this as as a continuum. And some organizations are going to index more on some, you know, on, on market versus community. But but I think you could need, you know, the sweet spot is you have to have both. I mean, another really good example of this is is Birdsorg, right? They have, um, you know, sixteen thousand people working in a thousand or so uh, self-managed teams. They are, you know, they are the largest um, uh, home care uh, organization in the Netherlands. And they are by far the most efficient, the most client-focused, the mo- the best place to work in their sector uh, by by all sorts of measures. Uh, and they do that with like basically no management, no no bureaucracy. It's basically there's no layer of management between these teams that are self-managed, who are responsible for you know their own territory and managing the patient experience and so on. And and the founders, and including Joste Block, uh, the founder of, of Birdsorg, and and the way they do that is, in large part, as you say, through a technology platform called WeLink that connects all these teams together. You know, it makes performance across these teams transparent. It allows teams to see who's doing something really well, and and so you can kind of go to that team and understand what they're doing. So learning and insights and information spreads horizontally, not vertically. 
and and where everybody has kind of feels like they're part of a community and so they are incented uh, and motivated to share best practices and tips and tricks to make the whole system better not just their own little part of a uh, part of the company right better so you know you have to reinvent the mode of control and make it much more reliant on horizontal coordination mutual adjustments and a lot of that has to do with market like mechanisms that are situated though in my, in my mind in a in a in a sort of like uh, shared social social context and and maybe we can get it we can get to that and 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 maybe you guys have a different point of view here I see a lot of people like now talking about Web3 and tokenization and kind of thinking that this can be something you can do in a, in a system that has no trust or that trust is generated in a kind of very impersonal way. And I have my doubts about that. I, I do think that, you know, a shared social context, a shared set of relationships and some sort of social fabric is important to enable these kinds of market-like mechanisms to thrive inside of firms. No, I think this is a this is a very important point. Uh, and uh, on one side, I see lots of potential to be sincere in Web three and uh, distributed autonomous organizations. In a sense, this is where IR itself is going using smart contracts uh, on on the blockchain. And the reason for that is just because we want to get rid of bureaucracy. Something that, of course, you cover a lot, uh, Miguel, in the in the book, uh, and there may be other, other mechanisms, uh, reputation, for example, to understand if mm-hmm. uh, some people can contribute or you can trust them, and uh, trust can be baked into, into the system. But on the other side, uh, I'm with you. I want to have a relationship with those people. I want to uh, breathe. I want to shake hands. I want to, I want to see them. I don't know if we can replicate somehow these uh, very social and human needs uh, into an algorithm uh, in which identities are, are not known. I think this is up for discussion. Technological support uh, is there already. Uh, uh, investments are coming. People needs uh, should be somehow supported. Well, I mean, the, the, the idea of the blockchain in general, I think, uh, somehow uh, helps me to connect with, um, with something that was came, coming up to my mind as Michele and you, Emanuele, you were discussing this, these ideas. Um, so so the, the question is, uh, as once we have a, a protocol, uh, let's say, where we can articulate our contracts, we can essentially uh, be able to describe the way we uh, collaborate, the outcomes. And uh, you, Michele, you, you spoke about, and, and Emanuel as well, you spoke about essentially uh, the relationship between work and money. And I would generalize it, uh, let's say, in terms of skin in the game uh, and work, right? So how the skin in the game you have in the outcome generates the work that you contribute to, to some kind of contract or activity. So essentially, as we factor in this idea of the blockchain and this idea of common protocols, I'm tempted to think that uh, this goes beyond the single organization. And uh, to some extent, into that space that, Michele, uh, you were referring as kind of trustless, right? So in general, in this context where there is less social cohesion uh, uh, and it's much more about, you know, uh, again, uh, low trust environments that you are skeptical about. So, so the point would be, 
really how do we so, so if we think about uh, extending contracts beyond uh, beyond organizations right so beyond uh, the single org uh, uh, and maybe by leveraging these technologies and common protocols uh, we can think of two uh, uh, teams in two organizations or more as is happening already for example in higher uh, to contract and to agree on building something new. Uh, so w- what gives you context uh, then? So is it uh, the appeal to relationships and, and, and societies and communities, something that we can uh, imagine as uh, related to landscapes or maybe related to communities like, you know, more in the traditional uh, uh Con, the traditional, let's say, way of thinking about them. So somehow relocalizing uh, some of the uh, footprint of the organization that uh, uh, during the industrial age has been completely disconnected from from the from the landscape. So is there something something also credible on thinking that uh, the evolution will bring us back into uh, embedding organizations into their communities and landscapes? Uh, is it something that uh, comes to, to your mind as you're doing your research or, or, or not? There will be some ways of, of orchestrating human effort that scale through market-like mechanisms that are, that are impersonal and atomistic and atomizing. You know, I mean, think about Mechanical Turk or, or Uber or a lot of the gig economy, like, you know, those people are just managed by an algorithm and just doing doing their thing right and it's very clear how much they get paid and for what and and so on and those might ha- they, they may have their place but i think as soon as you get into something where the actors have to work together to produce something so it's not just about organizing independent contractors to do their thing and, you know, without much interdependence between them, the, the, you know, when you, get, when you engage in something a little bit more complex and, and there is reciprocity, there are, you know, interrelationships. I, I think you, you have to think socially, not just uh, about the technology or the contracts and the tech, the tools. I, I see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of emphasis, maybe, you know, the whole discourse around web three, is almost like it's ninety five percent about the tools and the, you know how cool they are, <laughs> and 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 very little about how they actually work in practice and how people are supposed to interact with one another beyond 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 using the tool. And to me, that's that's important. And I think there are, you know, there are parallels. There are things we can learn from other other efforts where you know you are bringing people from all sorts of organizations together, right, to solve a common problem. I mean, the open source software uh, movement is all about that, right? Uh, think about, for instance, the the way the the Apache project and foundation works. Apache, I think, is is, is the is the operating system that most uh, servers use around the world. It's a very robust uh, open source project, and they have a foundation. They have, uh, you know, uh, teams and projects within it, and they're all working kind of autonomously, be, but also coordinating with one another. And they have incubators for new initiatives, and you know, and they've been at it for a long time, very successfully. They don't have a blockchain. Right, they don't have a DAO, and so like, I guess my challenge to those who are really keen on on these new technologies is, you know, how how are these technologies helping you manage these kind of distributed efforts in a way that is better 
than the, you know these than than what they're currently doing, and in a way that requires less trust and less social and relational capital uh, within them. And I, you know, I don't have an answer to that. I'm, as I said, I'm open-minded, but I, I haven't seen anything that gives me a confidence that there is a better model yet. I mean, potentially, but I, I just maybe it's early days. I mean, that's always what you hear in Web three. It's early days, but <laughs> maybe it's true. I mean, I mean, my impression is that these technologies brought up some new uh, enablers, right? Some new use cases uh, that are evidently in, in search of an application, right? An application context. Uh, so to some extent, uh, uh, that that's what happens. So now you have this uh, kind of uh, BFT, uh, Byzantine Fault Tolerant Consensus mechanisms that uh, can help you orchestrate, um, you know, possibly uh, malicious actors towards uh, shared consensus, and that's one enabler. Then you have all these layers of uh, uh, basically financial economic spacing uh, with, uh, you know, ERC tokens and, you know, attaching features to tokens and so on. So I think to some extent, yes, these new enablers have brought up new use cases that which we don't know yet how to use, uh, but um, I'm sure that they can... Uh, you know, maybe they can really unlock, uh, finally unlock the transition from, you know, this kind of traditional context and a much more unbounded uh, way to think about the organization uh, leveraging on those. But uh, the point that you bring up about social cohesion, something that I would uh, I would uh, uh, define as share the skin in the game, if you understand what I mean. So as a group, we have something mm-hmm. shared that we are building, we are constructing, where we are attached uh, from certain points of view. Uh, that's hard to uh, connect the technology. So it needs to be, I mean, you spoke about open source and and in open source projects, there is some extent of shared skin in the game, you know, because these developers and companies Mm -hmm. are using a a commons, right? That is the software, the open source software. Uh, So when it comes to organizations, maybe maybe we have to think about, how also the changes in the in the market, in the context, in the social context, uh, bring up new uh, need uh, when it comes to skin in the game. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, for example, resilience-related topics like you know energy production or uh, other essential essential uh, processes. So maybe the question is. Uh, uh, now that it's possible to organize in this uh, much more uh, cooperative and, and shared skin in the game inspired way, uh, what are the impacts on the corporate? So when people do not need to rely on the corporate for security and work, uh, where they are more sovereign in terms of defining what is the work they want to bring to the to the world, uh, is this change going to happen, or, or maybe we have we have this huge gap in, in terms of cultural readiness? Of our societies uh, to really take uh, responsibility on their on their own fate and 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 their own systems. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I don't have an answer to it. I mean, in a way, I'm I am hopeful because the trend is pushing us towards these kinds of approaches, and you know they're making you know it's it's they are easier, as I said, and more effective than ever before. On the other hand, the reality is most economic activity is still managed in a kind of a traditional traditional way. And the transition will be hard, right? Because those that are are doing well by the current systems are not going to be terribly inclined, you know, to to kind of give their power away. And that and that's what these you know these approaches, you know, whether it's Web three or or you know or or variants that are not as sort of 
focused on the blockchain and then tokenization and so on you know that you know the other other firms are adopting are are, are doing right they're just blowing up the bureaucratic uh, pyramid and you know those that are at the top of the pyramid aren't going to be uh very happy about it it's um about that right and and so it's it's a struggle. It's going to be a struggle, and I mean, I guess there are two options. One is that you know we get like the Fortune 500, get the large companies to be more like hire and say, you know, you need to transform yourself. You know, whether it's CVS or you know uh, BP or Lloyd's or you know what whatever Siemens. You know, say you know you you just basically need to disaggregate. You know, flatten the hierarchy, create all these mechanisms to linked all these units together internally and then with the outside worlds and that's you know I, yeah it, it will it will be something that will take you a decade or more and it'll be sometimes painful uh to do and you know hire has been at it for a while and you know they've hit some dead ends and it wasn't easy yeah maybe you don't have to make the same mistakes or you know hit those same dead ends as hire did maybe you can learn from them but still it's 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 a complex transformation you're talking about so that's option one you kind of reform the 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 old guard right and and you make them um you 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 can transform in this way or you just say forget them we'll write them off you know they're irreformable and we'll just have to wait for a new crop of organization to come and you know they're organized in a very different way right and like i don't know like sometimes i'm torn some days i like i think there's really hope in in transforming you know or larger established organizations and in a way that's that would be the, my my preferred path because they are they do have amazing capabilities amazing people and so like can we deploy those in a more productive way inside of those firms i think that would be better but sometimes i'm like you know it's they're just irreformable and and by the way that's that's my work my life's work in, in transforming these organizations so that's like what i'm wedded to but sometimes i do think oh my god you know like it's it's too hard right and and we should just like <laughs> we'll give up <laughs> and focus on on cultivating the new the new crop of firms and, and make sure that their dna is different the complicated thing about that and i'll stop and curious to get your thoughts the complicated thing about about you know committing to cultivating a, a new crop of, of firms is that these firms may look and act like little startups and be very flexible when they're young but as they grow they will in, almost inevitably become as bureaucratic as the incumbents and so there's like a dna level issue here that you know e even for those firms that are that are you know small now you know that they may become less you know and, and flexible now they may become less so in the future yeah it's hard and and by the way just the last thing i'll say on this just a data point you know gary and i were doing gary hamill and i my, my co-author and partner we're doing some research around the turnover of like large firms so the number of firms in the fortune 100 the largest firms by revenue in the u.s and how many of them uh, are, are still on the list after 10 years you know, and we went back to the 90s. The 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 turnover has never been as low as it is right now. Uh, so, like in the 90s, I think the churn rate was quite high. Um, I think it was like 60% of the firms that were, you know, uh, on the Fortune 100 list in like 2000 weren't on the list in, the, in 10 years before. But now it's like most of the firms that are on the list have been on the list for, for decades. So like we've gotten, these firms have become so big and so entrenched that it'll be hard to dislodge them. Too big to fail. Yeah, I don't want to be <laughs> pessimistic here, guys, but but uh, it is it is going to be a big challenge. Just because we have a good technology and a good approach doesn't mean it's going to get adopted. You know, maybe this transition deals with uh, uh, we becoming more entrepreneurial in the sense that uh, 
Of course, if the, the incumbents cannot change, it's up to us to make the new institutions. And so, uh, it, you know, we cannot get this transition administered to us for us to consume it, but we have to actually be part of this transition and building this diversity and pluralistic system of organizations that start probably from our interconnectedness and embeddedness in our landscapes, in our cities, in our communities, and, and from the production of our essential needs. Uh, so maybe that's the, the point. Uh, what do you think, uh, Emanuele and Michele, to, about that? Uh, I think that the problem is potentially even bigger. Since, as you said, Michele, you may start with the best intentions when you are 3, 5, 50, 100 guys, but eventually you become one of the bad guys in terms of structure, bureaucracy, control. So I'm not sure we can get out of it just by hoping that uh, new firms will embrace a different uh, flavor of, uh, of management. And uh, if we amplify this, if we put everything together, we are talking about... Uh, Society. You are talking about, you know, the entire business world. You are talking about the implication of uh, the business on human beings, uh, on uh, children, on the environment. So I think uh, this is a weak, a weak problem that we need to tackle now, because otherwise uh, it's not just a matter of uh, profits or jobs. It's a matter of what's the impact of humanity. Uh, on the globe we are all living on. So I think this is bigger and we definitely need to tackle. Unfortunately, I don't have the answer about the best entry point. I think there are multiple entry points as in any complex view of reality, but definitely empowering human beings to and their ingenuity to create a contribute uh, that is not only finalized in the organization, not only finalized on profit, but that looks at externalities, if you want, uh, and not seeing them as externalities, seeing them as uh, creating value for all the parties involved, it's probably the biggest problem that we have right now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, and, and, and I think there is hope. There are examples of companies and, and, and ecosystems coming together, right? So I want to be optimistic, but I want to be also realistic in, about the challenges. And I do think that at the end of the day, unless you switch your paradigm about the role of, you know, the relationship between people and the organization, you're not going to get very far. I mean, in the bureaucratic model, you know, people are seen as instruments, right? They are the resource that the organization uses to make money or, you know, whatever. You know, if, if, if that's your paradigm, you're always going to get, you're always going to end up in a more kind of bureaucratic model sooner or later, because, you know, that's, that's just, that's just your worldview. If you instead start with, a different world where, you know, it's the individual who's the agent, the individual uses the organization, the organization is the instrument. So you reverse this relationship and it's the platform, the organization is the platform you use like, to make a difference in the world. Then that, you know, that, that creates a completely different way of looking at the world and allows you to then imagine ways of organizing that are quite different. I mean, in a way, you got to start with those kinds of first principles and hire and a Burtzorg and Nucor and, Morningstar and others are all based on that idea that the instrument is the organization, the agent is the person. And it sounds like, you know, a little like uh, loosey-goosey, but it's not. Um, uh, and, and, you know, because it has profound implications for how you pursue 
the organizational design and how you evolve that over time. And and I think that's where you got to start. You know, so the technology is important. It enables you to achieve these kinds of um, ways of organizing. But unless you change that fundamental paradigm, unless we get more CEOs, right, and more people to think about the organization and people in that vein, you know, I'm afraid, you know, they'll look for other ways of aggregating human effort, right? That, you know, there will be other technologies that are, are, you know, that they'll use, which are not as liberating, which are not at, not really focused on, you know, on decentralization. They'll focus on things that centralize uh, and disempower, right? So that's, that's what, you know, we, we really need to reset our our worldview in a way uh, for uh, for these kinds of changes to stick in my mind. I tend to agree, you know, especially when you say, um, when you pose this question of uh, disempowering ways, uh, I think uh, it really also, I mean, I mean, something has, has to give, you know, so we have to go beyond, as I would say as people, we have to go beyond this idea that, uh, uh, we're looking for a job in these organizations, right? So, to some extent, uh, buying their ways to exist in the in the in, in the market, let's say, you know, and 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 I think uh, that's where it's up to us. Uh, so, disempowering, uh, you know, not embracing a disempowering vision of of an organization may come through us accepting the challenge of building alternative systems. And so, yeah, maybe I think uh, uh, we got to the core of the of the conversation we are having. So, it's hard for existing incumbents to change in the in this direction. Only the braves and only the wise are embarking on such a transition. Uh, those that don't probably will go through harsh uh, times uh, and possibly collapse and possibly disappear. But then, what's left? Uh, it's not necessarily, a, I, w- I would say, I don't know, a progressive, super cool, uh, alternative corporate model that we can subscribe to. It's something maybe that we have to build in terms of building nodes that interact with each other using common protocols and common contracts uh, where we have direct skin in the game on the outcomes, where we are, as entrepreneurs, as people, we have direct involvement. So it's not something we can just wait to happen. It's much more about, you know, engaging on building these alternative systems. What do you think? Yeah, yeah absolutely. that's absolutely right. We have uh, we have two choices. Either we can moan and just bitch about the how bad the status quo is, or we can mobilize and get things done and work at the very practical level, right? So, you know, building the tools that enable these kinds of interactions, building the um, the mechanisms that allow people to aggregate effort in, in a novel way. And uh, yeah, you, you got to build it from the bottom up and show that this is really happening. And if, if it is as powerful as I think it is, it will you know make waves and then people will start to notice and adoption will increase. I mean, it's not a, there is definitely hope, right? But as you say, it's got, we got to work, you know, have very kind of, um, in a way, revolutionary goals, right? Uh, but then kind of work in a very evolutionary way, very practically at the ground floor. So what you guys are doing and what Hire is doing and others of just, you know, trying to create these ways of, um, you know, plugging into um, a platform that is shared is, is, is really cool. And, and you're, in a way, are changing and very useful. You're changing the way we even think about platforms because, I, as I said, I think most most people think, 
of, you know, like Uber or, A- or Airbnb and, you know, Lyft and TaskRabbit as platforms. And yeah, sure, they're platforms, but they're, you know, not really platforms in, in a way that, that truly uh, enable people to build build on each other's insights ideas and work and 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 and, and, and provide a real alternative to to the firm right so i think that's 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 it we we just got to work we got to work at the, at a very practical level and the challenging task here i think is that uh, most of this transition is very boring boring i mean you know my friend indy speaks about the boring revolution right so the idea that uh, uh, if we have to rebuild things such as our key support systems, right, you know, food and energy and, uh, I don't know, welfare and healthcare, uh, some of them are very boring. I mean, and, and uh, um, you know, we, we have to engage with them because we have to have firsthand involvement on building those, on building those organizations uh, because they are contextual. So, uh, I, I mean, a lot of what we're talking about is a transition from a rationalistic, a mechanistic uh, view of the organization as an abstraction, uh, you know, into something that is much more contextualized to uh, our, our needs, our communities, and so on. And unfortunately, that can only be built by, you know, by direct skin in the game, by participation, uh, by taking care of uh, developing the services, developing the financial models, raising the capital, uh, you know, deploying and developing the organization itself. You know, it's boring. And I think that's a major cultural uh, issue that uh, that we have to deal with. Uh, what do you think? And maybe that's like a good way to close. Uh, I don't know if Manoli, you want to add something, but, you know, uh, re- thinking about, you know, this cultural problem that we have, this cultural gap between the expectation of, you know, our, our people and, and, you know, ourselves as well, and the reality of the the kind of situation we live at the global scale with uh, a completely, uh, you know, with the need to completely reinvent how we produce most of the things we use and and the services we, we consume, uh, but uh, being too bored to engage with it. I don't think it's boring. I think it's one of the most fascinating, actually, ventures that uh, one could expire to. Uh, I see... Tens of millions of people waking up every morning, morning, uh, sad, disengaged, disempowered. Uh, and as we all know, this is a huge toll on the uh, global economy, but it's also a huge toll on our lives. So I think that this is not boring. Actually, it's a, a crucial step and a crucial activity. Also, when you look at that from a market perspective, so if you want to have a better service, if you want to have better products, if you want to have better experiences, we need to care about the human beings and the human dynamics within organizations. What we have been discussing today with contracts is actually a bridge between these two worlds. It's an intimate connection uh, without which we are never going to see better outcomes for ourselves, uh, uh, first of all. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would just say that we need to make kind of management innovation, you know, sexy. Uh, the the way it was like a hundred years ago, you know, people that's 
people like even Frederick Winslow Taylor, who, you know, I in a way detest because he he just thought so bad, so little of so many people, uh, especially frontline workers. But he, in a way, believed like others in that generation that the way you, you develop ways of managing, of leading, of organizing was a fundamental driver of uh, organizational performance and human accomplishment. And, and that's absolutely true. You know, management is a, t- a social technology. It can be innovated upon. It is being innovated upon. But somehow, you know, over the last uh, 20, 30 years, we've, uh, with some exceptions, you know, we've basically resigned ourselves to the fact that management as we know it is like as good as it's going to get. We've reached the end of management. And like, yeah, maybe we can tinker at the, you know, at the margin and, you know, people can work from home or, or, or whatever. Fine. But like, you know, the, the fundamental template of organization, you know, which is authoritarian and rule driven and so on, hasn't changed. No one's really questioning that. And no one thinks that we can question it. So like we, we talk about business model innovation and everybody's really excited about that. But very few people talk about management model innovation. Right. So. We, we gotta we gotta get more people to appreciate. I think the power of managed innovation and the the value that it creates. And I think if we did that, then more people will just have their antennas up and 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 join us in this in this in this quest. You know, because it is a worthwhile quest and one that I think in a way is is one of our defining challenges. Like in the twenty first century, we just we just have to uh, do a massive upgrade of our organizational os and uh and we need and we need all the all the help we can get right right and and you know management innovation i think it's uh, it's even you know doesn't even convey the massive uh, you know challenges that we have to engage with right because it's even more you know about entrepreneurship and and having direct skin in the game and hands on and so on so totally uh, so, Michele, maybe as a closing point, uh, if you want to share with our listeners uh, what you're up to, something up, something that's coming up, or how to engage with you and get in touch, maybe change ideas, and, and you know, in general, engage with what you're working on these days. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy to report that uh, soon we'll be launching a set of interviews with a really cool set of, uh, of thinkers and executives around how we humanize work and create organizations that are fit for the 21st century, very much exploring the kinds of themes that we've tackled today and, 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 and many others as well. And um, this will be up on our uh, website, humanocracy.com. I think it'll be humanocracy.com forward slash movement. But if you go to humanocracy.com, you'll see the links. So you'll be able to see a set of interviews that will, I think will be really interesting to the audience. So I encourage you to do that. You can also check me out on, on Twitter at michelezanini.com. Uh, no, so michelezanini, so M-I-C-H-E-L-E-Z-A-N-I-N-I at michelezanini. So those are a couple of pointers. Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, it was a great chat. I'm sure I have to re-listen to that uh, to come up with some more insights. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy. Uh, you know, uh, Miguel, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to you, to have you on board. And um, Emanuele, thank you so much as well for your, for your brilliant questions as always. And uh, uh, to our listeners, uh, catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bandwidth Conversations podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media 
review our show on any major distribution platform and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on Boundless.io for our latest news and updates. There you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them and connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform strategies and organizational transformations for the age of ecosystems. We also want to thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.